It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you here on Friday, January 12th. It's Australian Open Eve. The Australian Open starts tomorrow, that which is Sunday in Melbourne. 15-day tournament this year, so we get an early start on the action. It's going to be exciting. It always is. And uh, here to break it down, talk about the draws, talk about the key storylines are Tennis Now editor Richard Pagliaro and Tennis Now contributor Eric Goodris. Excited to have some time to spend with my two comrades. And we'll be breaking down all the key storylines, starting with none other than the king of the Aussie Open, Novak Djokovic, 10-time champion, 24-time major champion, bidding for number 25. How do we think Novak's wrist will hold up? Will it impact his performance? And what do we make of his draw? And for that matter, the draw of the other key players on the men's side, which are Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner, Daniel Medvedev, and maybe even Alexander Zverev. We're going to, of course, look at the women's draw. We're excited for the return of Naomi Osaka, the four-time Grand Slam champion, two-time Aussie Open champion, is back. How do we think she'll perform against Caroline Garcia in the first round? Of course, we'll also look at all the women's storylines. The top four looking so solid on the women's side. So why don't we get to that interview right now, and we'll see you guys on the other side. All right, Eric and Richard, we're back, and the Australian Open is back, and it starts, oh my God, tomorrow night in the States. That's Saturday night, Sunday in Australia, 15-day tournament this year. We're all excited. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you both. I'm excited to spend uh, 2024 with you talking some tennis. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's get right into it. I mean, things happen fast in tennis. It's really the only sport that works like this where the season starts right on the New Year and boom, within two weeks, we're into one of the biggest events of the season. It's like we're in playoff mode from preseason, like zero to 60. It's it's pretty pretty jarring in a lot of ways, and it makes it tough for us pundits to preview the the action given that we're a lot of players that are going to be in this main draw haven't played a match yet this season so we got to rely on past history and whatnot so it makes it a little tricky but I'll put the the big question to you guys first starting with Richard it's Novak Djokovic back in Australia gunning for his 25th major his 11th at the Australian Open however a little wrinkle he does have a little bit of a wrist injury or at least he did a week ago at United Cup uh, it's not that he enc- hasn't encountered a, an injury before at the Australian Open the last two times he won it. In fact, he was bogged down by some injuries. So I just wonder, the big question I will ask you is, do you think it affects Djokovic at all? And do you think that it's Djokovic's turn again to win another major here, number 25 in Melbourne? Yes, I do think um, it is that, you know, he's, Really, really strong favorite. As far as the injury, like you said, he's he's won this title before playing through injury. Also, what he said at United Cup 
you know, unless he was just saying that to be optimistic, he said he felt with the week rest that he was going to be fine. So I take him at his word, and uh, he's got a phenomenal five-set record. Obviously, that's his best major. And also, one of the fascinating things, if he were to win it, like you said, not only the 25th and his 11th AO, but it would be 16 years after he won his first major in 2008, down under when he beat Sanga. And he was almost the same age as Alcaraz is right now when he did that. So I'm definitely hoping for a Djokovic-Alcaraz final, but I think Sinner uh, would be the guy to really look at as potentially uh, the disruptor based, based on the fact that he's beaten Novak two of the last three times they've played. I realize it's two out of three sets, but still a win's a win. Yeah. Um, so Novak Djokovic, Eric, 89-8 and eight lifetime at the Australian Open. Some milestones coming up for him as uh, every time he takes the court, he's chasing down a new milestone or two or three, it seems. But this year he could, um, he could pass Serena Williams on the all-time Grand Slam singles match win list. Serena has um, 367, I believe. Novak comes in with 361. He's still eight wins behind Federer. Um, he's bidding to win a major beyond the age of 35 for the fifth time. Um, he's the favorite, but I wonder what your take is. Um, do you think the injury impacts him at all? And I ask you this question. I put this question to you a little bit differently. Um, if not Novak, and this could be the second part of the question, if, if it isn't Novak Djokovic winning this title, then who in your mind will? Um, I guess like Richard said, I don't think the injury is going to be that big a deal. Um, for Novak, I think for him, it's always just sort of like the whole, like first of the first week, it's about that kind of match management and just you know, getting through those early rounds and not looking too far ahead, which he, of course, does so well. Um, if it's not Novak, I think what makes this year's uh, Australian Open very interesting is that there are now definitely, I would say, three other guys that are in the mix and they have been in the I've been in there before, of course, but I feel like now they're even more so. And of course, that's Carlos Alcaraz, Daniel Medvedev, and Yannick Sinner. Um, I think that either of those three guys, just based on their performances last year, um, especially Sinner having such a great end of the year, um, those are the ones that I feel like um, would not be a surprise at all if either one of them uh, took that next step to win an Australian Open. But Novak Djokovic, you know, Melbourne is his home court in many ways. And I think he's going to relish that uh, that challenge that those those three men will, will give him. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and Eric, we talked about this last time we were on in December after the, the dust had settled from a 2023 tennis season. Yannick Sinner, who's in Novak Djokovic's half of the draw, made some significant strides against him. What do, you, what, what do you make of a potential semifinal matchup between Sinner and Djokovic? Do you think those victories for Sinner could help him get over the hump, perhaps? Or do you think it's not really time on, on such a stage as the Australian Open? I think for Sinner, it's all going to kind of depend on how he performs before he gets to that stage. I think um, in some ways, it's all this is still new territory for him at this level. And I think for him, it's in many ways still kind of managing the moment. Um, I think he would certainly go into that match with a lot of confidence, but again, once Novak Djokovic is sort of in the, the late, the, you know, next to last or the, the final, he's very hard to beat. So um, 
I think it's going to be an extra added pressure on center because Djokovic is probably going to be way more locked in, say, if this were like any other, like a Masters tournament or somewhere else, right? Yeah, so sure. I think that's that's something to take into consideration. Yeah, we get Novak beyond the uh, beyond the quarterfinals at the Australian Open. He doesn't he doesn't seem to lose. He doesn't know how to lose. Richard, what do you you mentioned Alcaraz is uh, the guy you'd like to see in the final across from from Novak. What do you make of the other three guys? Because because as Eric said, it really does seem like maybe more than in the last few years we've got and, and obviously with Rafa now not in the mix the way he used to be and not in the mix at all at this tournament. Seems like we've got four corners staked out pretty solidly on the men's side. I really like the top four, and I have expe- high expectations for all four of those guys: Daniel Medvedev. Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner. We haven't seen anything from those three players this season, but let's assume that they've done the right things in the offseason, however short that may have been the offseason, and they're ready to roll. I just wonder if you could handicap those three, what you think about their draws maybe, and what you think about the potential for these guys, and and why is it that you mentioned Alcaraz as maybe the favorite to, to be in the final and not Medvedev and and. and and what also do you make of the Sinner Djokovic potential semifinal? Yeah, those are all excellent questions. Um, so you're really making me think here. But I'm going to say, you know, the funny thing is, when I looked, my first instinct looking at the draw, I felt that Medvedev's draw was the kindest of the top four. I really did. Although, you know, you could say Novak is Novak. He's probably has the best. But even having said that, I would still. I would still like Alcaraz as the next guy just because I look at that Wimbledon final where that was an immense pressure on him because if he loses, he loses the number one ranking. Also, it's a similar scenario where Novak was perceived to be invincible at Wimbledon on center court, and you could argue even more so here at Rod Laver Arena where he just doesn't lose, at least since he lost to Chung in that shocker. And I just, I'm just really, really high on Alcaraz's game. I just think he has more tools, more weapons, the speed, the athleticism, the improvisation, the fact that he did not play there last year. So if he got to the final, if he beat Novak, he'd be number one again. He can he can only really gain from this experience. And I think the fans will be behind him because they didn't see him there. You know, there's questions, obviously, with Juan Carlos Ferrero is not going to be there from what I understand. So that's, that's a bit of a challenge. As for Sinner, I'm not really phased that he didn't play. I mean, he did play a few exos there. But I read his, you know, I watched his presser, read it, and he... He basically said he felt like he had such a long year, and then winning the Davis Cup was so exhilarating, such a high. It's almost I felt like he made the smart move not playing, not trying to rush back out there, kind of decompressing. And then he got to Melbourne early, which I feel like could be an advantage for him because he played on the real Australian Open courts with the real Australian Open balls, with practicing with the guys he's going to be playing with. So I just feel like he may be more acclimated that that might be a good move, although Medvedev, when he was asked about it, because he's in the same scenario, he didn't play either, and he tuned up, and he said it's a risk. So you could look at it one of... You can look at it either way. As for, like you said, the the last question was as for Sinner versus Djokovic. I mean, obviously, you've got to go with Djokovic, but still, he's 36 years old going against a younger, much younger guy. At some point, you have to feel like the physicality, the pendulum swings at some point. I mean, the guy, it's phenomenal. He's won 12 slams after the age of 30. I think he's won five after the age of 35. So if he wins this one, more than half of his slams will be after 
the age of 30, which is just mind-blowing. That would never, people would never conceive of that 25 years ago or whatever. So I, I just think Sinner, I, I think he's done the right things and he has the confidence, but, you know, exactly like Eric said, he's never done it. We've never seen him in a final, so he's got to beat Djokovic probably if that came off to get there. You know, he's got to show that he can do it. It's, it's just a different thing sitting here talking about it. you got to go do it. That's really, really hard yep. to do. Yep. Okay, let me stay with you, Richard, on Alcaraz. Um, um, he's 20 years old. He's got two majors already, and he's kind of thought of as the, as the guy who maybe will be on top of tennis for a long, long time. But did fade a little bit last year. U.S. Open lost to Daniil Medvedev. That one surprised a lot of us. Beijing lost to Sinner in the semifinals, and I think we're starting to see fatigue wearing on Alcaraz at that point of the season. Shanghai lost to Dimitrov in three sets. Paris Masters, first round loss to Safulin. ATP Finals, a loss to Zverev, and a loss to Djokovic. And and um, what I think is interesting about Alcaraz at this point in time is that his dr- draw is slightly tricky, in my opinion. And I wonder how you feel about that maybe impacting him. Potential second rounder with Sunego and or Evans, not easy. Potential third rounder with right. Bublik, third round, could be tricky, as we all know. Tommy Paul lurking as a fourth round opponent, and Tommy Paul is two wins over Alcaraz in the last 18 months. And then this is the one that really made me think about Carlitos's draw is Alexander Zverev, who's really coming on. And in my opinion is the fifth favorite besides these top four guys to win this title. Um, He's a potential quarterfinal opponent for Carlitos. So there's the potential maybe that Carlos gets dragged down, has to work really hard to get just to the semifinals. And I think that might impact him a little bit. So I wanted to get your take overall on what you thought of his maybe a tiny bit of a fade last year at the end of the season and what you think of his draw and how do you think that will impact him? Well, you're right. The draw is definitely the tough. I mean, he's definitely I mean, right out of the box. He's got Gasquet and Tommy Paul is not intimidated. Tommy Paul seems pretty comfortable playing him, even though, I mean, Tommy Paul's beating him in big matches. And I think you hit it right on the head was Zverev. I watch United Cup. Zverev looked great at United Cup. I mean, he looked really good. Not only just being Zverev, which is serving, banging the backhand, stuff like that. But at the net, the guy played fantastic at the net. If he was able to be that assertive and that aggressive as he was in United Cup and carry that to the Australian Open, for sure. I mean, he, he's beaten out. For sure, he could beat him. I mean, he's done it before. He's got a bigger first serve, for sure. I just think Alcaraz, if you look at his history in the slams, he comes to play and he delivers and he produces. Sure, he's taken some tough losses. Yes, he's physically faded. You're right. But yeah, I think you have to kind of qualify that and contextualize it by the fact that he was banged up at the start of last year. And I look at it this year, maybe just having that fresh start and that reset his first time in a couple of years playing there, he's going to be excited. And also Gasquet right out of the box. I know he's an older guy, stuff like that. But still, he knows he has to be vigilant from the first ball. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. He's got the toughest road. But I think sometimes the toughest road can toughen you up for the bigger battles yeah. in the second week. And that's what I would hope for him. But, you know, you're right. I mean, he... he I mean, to me, Zverev and Tommy Paul and Zverev are two, those are huge, uh, especially Zverev. That's a big, big obstacle for him. Yeah, yeah, that can make it interesting for sure. And Erica, I'll switch over to you and maybe switch gears a little bit and look at that same bottom half of the men's draw. We'll stay with the men. But uh, Grigor Dimitrov is in there making things interesting. Potential round of 16 opponent for Daniil Medvedev. Of course, Grigor last week in Brisbane won his first ATP title, long-awaited. 
ATP title at, at uh, Brisbane, f- first title since 2017, showing really good form. A lot of people think maybe he's a contender for a deep run, potentially uh, deeper than we even expect. What do you make of Grigor's rise of late? He's still 32 years old, very fit. Um, maybe maybe has more confidence than he has in many years. What do you what do you like about Grigor these days? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Grigor has definitely found, I guess, I'm going to call him a second life, but he's definitely, I guess, now putting it all together in some ways. I mean, of course, he, so much was expected of him when he was younger, uh, but perhaps yeah. now experience and everything is uh, is helping him more than his younger days. So, I mean, he just seems now sort of has this kind of great all-court game that really challenges a lot of the players now. And again, if he, you know, he's another one that if he can just kind of get through his kind of early rounds and build on those, that confidence, then uh, if he's taking on Medvedev, I mean, that's, I think that's a definitely a winnable match. I mean, I guess if we're projecting like a, you know, a deep run, what have you, I mean, it's probably, and correct me, it's probably best that Djokovic is on the other side of the draw because, (laughs) So it's usually been his his, his nemesis there, but um, oh yeah, uh, everybody's I, nemesis. I would certainly, <laughs> I would certainly say that uh, Dimitrov has certainly a great chance of deep run. And the other player that I wanted to mention is um, speaking of uh, is Alex Dinanar, um, yes. only because uh, he's going to have the of course the the, the crowd support and everything, and he and he's had he's had a, a stellar last. Uh, six or seven months or well as well so he definitely now has a lot of confidence and I mean he may be feeling a little more pressure now to like really overperform at the Australian Open like so many other Australians do but we definitely have to keep an eye on him as well yeah I I agree with you I'm glad you mentioned him I think Dimitrov and Dimonor are the two guys that have made the biggest impact on the first 10 days of the season of course Dimonor with an amazing win over Novak Djokovic at United Cup. Um, he is just amazing on home soil. He's amazing when he plays with the green and gold on his back. He's slated to face Milos Raonic. Blast from the past right there. Former Australian Open semifinals and very nearly a finalist um, in the first round. And, and in a fairly favorable section of the draw down low there in the round of 16 potential matchup with the Rublev. I'll switch it over to you. Richard, since we got on the demon here, what do you make of his play and how far can he go? I was on a podcast yesterday and was asked that he, if he's a potential dark horse to actually win the title. And I said, I can't see that ever happening, but I could see a breakthrough, a semifinal run, something crazy like that for sure. Especially the, And I don't think the pressure is going to bother him, by the way. I think he thrives in home soil. He'll be fired up and the, his matches will be a must-see TV for sure. Yeah, and also the confidence from beating Djokovic, albeit, and, you know, a wrist injured Djokovic yeah. at the United Cup. And like you said, you know, when he has the green and gold and when he has the support, I mean, the guy is just so, so tough mentally. He's so quick. And I felt like a, a thing that he's been talking about doing for a while that he did show at United Cup was using his speed in a forward way to try to finish the point or at least pressure the opponent. We know he's one of the fastest guys in the game, but it's usually a lateral dashing side to side to make a great get, a great counter strike. But to see him use it in a more offensive way, I felt like that's the step because he's just not physically as big or strong as those other guys. So you got to use your speed more offensively, which I feel like he's tried to do. So yeah, for sure. I mean, he, I think both of those guys, uh, Demon and, and Grigor, you know, Grigor winning Brisbane and beating uh, Holger 
en route, yeah. And Grigor's been to the semifinals there, almost beat Rafa the year, yes. uh, you know, it was like a five-hour match. So, yeah, I, I like both those guys a lot. Yeah. I don't think, I agree with you, Chris, I don't think he's, I don't think Demon's ready to win it or get to the final. And let's not forget, the last Aussie man to win the AO was Mark Edmonds in 1976, and that was a huge, oh huge upset, like a massive upset. So for Demon to do it, obviously it wouldn't be as big of an upset because he's a top 10 guy, but it would be massive. Yeah, good point there. I think Edmondson was ranked, I forget, 212 or so outside the top 200 well, when he won that title. Uh, um, and he beat the top two guys in succession. He beat the two Aussie heroes back-to-back to do it, which is unbelievable. That's that's an amazing one. I, I'm not familiar with the, the, the ambiance of what that must have been like. That must have been intense. Um, different place, of course, not Melbourne Park. But, <laughs> but Demonor, 20, right. I just want to make a few points. Demonor, 24 years old still, and you make the, the – the connection with him becoming a little bit more offensive in his game. And, and that's, that's a big development that could really help him. First uh, Aussie man in the top 10 since Leighton Hewitt in 2006. So a great achievement for him. He's like a widely adored player that we all love. Just a true grit and determination that he brings to the court. Every single point of every single match. It's just very inspiring. Love the kid. Very humble, soft-spoken, but, but man, he can get fired up and, and he's a battler. So he's always great to watch. Um, uh, I mean, we might get into some more men, but I don't want to like go too long without talking about the women. And then when I think about the women, it's funny. There's the top four right now on the WTA tour is in such good shape. and I'm so impressed by it, but I want to put this to Eric quickly before we even get into those big names, four time grand slam champion and two time Australian open champion. Naomi Osaka is back in the mix, 26 years old, mother of one now. And she played two matches in Brisbane and she's about to make her first grand slam appearance in a long time. Eric, what did you see from Naomi in Brisbane? What do you think about her comeback overall and how excited are you to see her back on the Grand Slam stage. Well, it certainly is great to see Naomi back just uh, because she is such a huge star, not just in tennis, but in sports and everywhere. So uh, she's certainly going to add a lot more interest to the tournament for sure. Um, I think for me, it's just that she seems just happier being on court and is just enjoying playing. And I think that's, uh, a plus, of course. And, and, you know, in terms of like expectations and everything, I think it's, I think it's a little too soon to tell. I mean, certainly she has the game if she's playing at her best to win another major. I don't think it's going to be this time, but I think, I think it'll just be great to see her back on court and just competing and enjoying herself. And hopefully Hopefully she'll have a good enough run that that will just kind of fuel her to uh, at, at the next majors, especially uh, Roland Garris and Wimbledon, where she's not done as well, of course, as she has in Australia and New York. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like um, just seeing her back on court. Same with Caroline Wozniacki, yeah. her returning to Melbourne. That's going to be another great story to follow as well. Um, so um, I think, and like Alina Spitalina, uh, continuing her from her great last year. So I think it's just those are going to be kind of the stories, uh, especially in the first week that I'll be looking forward to. Yeah, Richard, talk to me about Naomi. What have you, what did you see in Brisbane, and what do you think about the fact that 
She um she's gonna play a lot this year if her body holds up. She says she wants to play a ton of events and really get back into the thick of things, get comfortable on the court. And I think if that plays out well and she doesn't get injured, I think she, we could see her being a force by spring and summer. And as Eric mentioned, yeah, she really wants to improve her game on the clay and on the grass. And this is an Olympic year, and I think she wants another shot at the Olympics as well. Yeah, she's she's consistently said throughout her career that she really wants to win an Olympic medal, so I'm, I think you're spot on there. I was impressed. I mean, I really was. I, that's the first time in 15 months to come out there, and even the match she lost to Pliskova, that was a high-quality match. Pliskova had like 16 aces, and they only had 14 or 15. I mean, they were winning points. They were both playing really well. And if you look at the stats, I watched the whole match. She had like 12. She had 10 more break points than Pliskova. She probably should have won the match. She just couldn't convert. I mean, Pliskova, you got to credit her. She hit some great serves on break point down. But she uh, she was in position to win that match. I mean, so I, I was impressed with her. I, a couple things. The running forehand, when they when she put her in the corner, Naomi was able to hit the running forehand, I felt, with accuracy and also mix it to go cross, go down the line at times. And that's a, that's a good sign when you haven't played in so long to be able to control the ball on the run. And the serve was was there. I mean, the serve was what, what you thought. I thought she used the wide serve on the – do side really well. I thought she really used the first serve well to set up the forehand, so she wasn't just going out there, let me just try to bang aces. She was really had a plan, and I think if she can apply that to the return game, then she'll be fine. But I think what Eric said is also true. I think she's looking at it more long-term in terms of when she said, I want to play like I did when I was 18, a lot of tournaments. So that tells me that she understands, look, it's really quick to try to expect something out of myself here, even though I'm a two-time AO champion, because she has Garcia right out of the box, even though she's Garcia, it's a tough match. So I think she's looking long-term. And the last thing I would say about her that that really that made me smile was even after the loss, she stopped and she did some selfies with fans. She, talk, she had a smile. She was much more, she looked much more comfortable like she wants to be there. And all her comments have been positive. So I, you know, I just only wish the best for her, and I hope she can play a full year because if she can, I mean, she will be in contention. And, yeah, I mean, I think, just one last thing, not to claim everything in, but what you guys said about the clay and the grass, I always felt like she could be a really good grass player. It's just that she was always that part of the season. It's always either she's hurt, she wasn't playing, or things came up. If she, if she put together two, three solid years in a row, I, I mean, she could definitely be a force on grass with that serve and the explosive return. There's no question. I just think it's the footing and getting comfortable and doing it over and over. Look what Alcaraz. Alcaraz had zero, almost zero grass experience he goes he wins queens and then he wins wimbledon i mean she definitely could be a factor there i think for sure if she's playing well and i mean as the years build up she gets more experience on it but but i I like what you mentioned i think that um she really has put the time in not just to work on her tennis in this comeback but to work on herself and i think she knows she's take she knows what she needs to be and how she needs to approach this in order to make it last and and she's appreciating the opportunity having her daughter her baby daughter has really inspired her i think so all things are working well and i i think it was a great move to get Wim Fissette back i mean he's a world-class coach and they've had chemistry and they've done well before and i think that kind of puts a little rock in her corner so i think things are looking good it's very exciting to have her back have you guys read ben's book i've got it sitting right here i need to get to it in the next couple of days and do an interview with him but I'm curious to know what, what if you have read it, what you've thought of it. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Anybody? I've not read it. No, oh, I'd yeah. like to get your copy when you. All right, all right, good. No, I, I'll definitely read it. All right, have. I'll send my copy over. To, and same with you, Eric. I haven't had a chance to read it. All yet. right, good. I'll get. Yeah, it's just it's just come out, so uh, I'm excited to read it and, and get give you give all our listeners feedback on that. Um, staying on the women's side, as I mentioned, like the men, we got the four corners, and they're really they're they're the top four of the WTA in my opinion right now is as good as it has been in a very long time with uh, world beater Igor Fiontek on top, and then we've got Sabalenka, the defending champ, number two seed, then Elena Rybakina, the three seed, who could cause huge problems for Iga and, and did last year at the Australian Open, and then. The big surprise, if you asked me nine months ago, I wouldn't have expected it to be this way, but it's Coco's time right now. She's now a Grand Slam champion. She's now anchoring that number four seed, and she's a threat to win this title with those four players. And then, of course, you've got other players in the top ten that are dangerous. It's like this is like prime time for the women. I'm so excited about this draw, and I wonder if you are too, Eric, and if you have any initial thoughts looking at it. If you see it, you know, did the, the draw tilt thing in any one particular player's way? Or what are you thinking about in terms of this women's singles draw this year in Australia? Well, again, I think you can certainly look at the draw and kind of and parse things out. But again, there's so much depth and talent in the women's field that every match is 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 tough. And I think, like you said, I think this this year particularly – it's very hard, especially among the top four, to to say someone is like the overwhelming favorite. I don't think that's the case. It to me, it feels like it's Coco's time, just because, as you said, she's had this amazing ascension since the summer of last year, and like uh, she just she just seems like a new player almost and yeah. she's full of confidence and she's kind of coming in, coming into her own and she's kind of owning all the gifts that she has. So I think she's going to be very hard to beat. I'm, I'm sort of curious how Sabalenka sort of handles coming in, being the defending champion. That's a, that's a new expectation for her. Um, and, but again, I, I don't, I, you can't count out Iga. Um, Absolutely, just not. sort of doing what she does and sort of as being so tough, especially in the, the lighter stages. So it's going to be very interesting. Of course, Rabakina, I mean, if she serves lights out, then she'll beat anybody. So, um, but she has her dips too, right? So that's kind of interesting to see how she, uh, how she manages that. I'm yeah. also curious how Jessica Pagula plays. Um, she's been sort of not forgotten, but she's been, you know, she's been knocking on the door and just hasn't been able to take that next step. So I'll be curious to kind of see how she uh, plays. Uh, and then, of course, there's Anjabur. I'm not yes. I'm not expecting a ton from Anjabur for this tournament. I don't. She just after Wimbledon, she kind of faded a little bit for obvious reasons. And uh, I don't think she's quite back where she was 
uh, last year. So I think if there's going to be an early upset, I think it's going to be on, but we'll see. Interesting stuff, yeah. And, and Richard, as as Eric was talking about Rybakina, I'm looking at the draw. She plays Carolina Pliskova in the first round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. I didn't realize yep. that until yep. until just now. That is ridiculous. That is a potential. I don't know. I mean, Pliskova is no slouch. I don't know. I don't. That's crazy. And I and that could really break up the the tournament if uh, first round upset of Rybakina. But I'm, and again, I would say Rybakina is the favorite. But what are your thoughts overall on? What we're seeing in the women's side, maybe the progress of Vega. Do you think she's ready to win on a hard court? Do you, how did, like, as Eric said, what do you think the pressure will be like on Sabalenka? And do you think Coco's ready to win back-to-back majors? You know, a lot, a lot of stuff to answer there. But, you know, just you, if you could vibe off some of the things that Eric said and give me your take on this women's singles draw, which is kind of well-balanced, really. I don't see that any player's got a horrible draw. I think Coco, maybe, in my opinion, has a decent draw because she's in soccer section. Uh, that could help her. Yeah, I felt initially when I first looked at it that Sabalenka had the best of the four, the, the kindest draw of the four, but exactly as you both said, I mean, she's never defended a major, and that's a really, really hard thing to do. And also, you know, Elena Rabakina beat her down pretty badly uh, yeah. in prep for this tournament. So if I'm Rabakina, and like, you know, you hit it, that's one of the best first-rounders of the whole tournament, her against Pliskova, especially the way Pliskova played against Naomi. But I think if she gets through that, I mean, I would look at Elena being a very, very dangerous on that court. I know she's got the, the pressure defending the finals from last year, but, man, she when her serve is clicking, she is really dangerous. And I... I think Iga, you know, Iga played great at United Cup, and I was a little bit skeptical of changing the serve motion, you know, right at the start with a slammer, but she she served well. I just still think if they played again in Melbourne, I would still, you know, there's a lot of matches obviously to be played for them, and we'd have more information, but I would still give Elena the edge in that match. I just think it's she. She just has a really good game to go up against Egan. She can corner her on the backhand side, too, and she can beat her with the backhand down the line. Yeah, Pagula will be an interesting one. I, I think Coco's got a real good shot to go deep. I think it will be interesting if she has to come up against an Osaka or a uh, Garcia, right? She's in that section. Isn't she yes. in that same section? with she is. The winner of that. And she beat, she's beaten Osaka in Australia, but uh, Garcia has beaten Coco at the Open, right? So... You know, those are tough. Yeah, I That's like Coco's draw. I think Coco can, can really do some damage. And I think if Sabalenka keeps her head on straight, which is always, you know, the the thing with her, she, she can she can go deep. Absolutely. Um, Iga, you know, Iga played really well. I would expect her to be there. She will know right out of the box she plays Kennan. And the other thing I would say, I felt really bad for Angelique Kerber. You come back, former number one, former champion, and you got Danielle Collins first round and then mm-hmm. even if you win that you probably have Ega second round after Ega yeah. really pasted her in United <laughs> Cup I mean it's tough for Angela I feel for her but she you know she showed her spirit and she fought really really hard in uh, United Cup the other one that's dangerous to Ega to me is Ostapenko and Ostapenko can be flaky mm-hmm. because she can really start arguing with the fans the crowd the opponent and she can blow up she can, can implode but she I don't think she's ever lost to Ega I mean she knows how to play Ega so that's another potential minefield, but you know you never know with uh, with Ostapenko. But if she gets to that match, she's a, she's a danger. Yeah. All right. So by the way, good stuff. I looked at um, the head to head between Pliskova and Rybakina. It's three and zero Rybakina. All straight sets. All straight sets. So yeah. maybe I'm maybe I'm pushing the panic button a little. Well, but too there's soon. still the pressure on her. I mean, it's all on her. Like she's supposed to win. I mean, it's still 
Puskova could still hold serve against anybody. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it but is I definitely. agree with you. I think Rabakin is going to get through that, but I think that's a tough. That's a really, really tough match. Ostapenko four and zero against Iga, including that win at the U.S. Open uh, last year in three sets, round of sixteen. She also beat her in Dubai in three, Indian Wells in twenty twenty one in straights. And, and I think that matchup can be concerning for Egan, not just a 4-0, and but you, Ostapenko's the type of player where you, she can make you not rally. Like, yeah. she can just go for the lock no down rhythm. the line off both sides, and you don't get any rhythm because she's just going for it, and she can make it, too. So, yeah. that she's a really freaky player to play. Yep. Yeah, it's up It's up to Iga to continue evolving, continue problem-solving. She's done a pretty good job at it so far. 22 years old, four major titles, but none in Australia. And uh, none at Wimbledon, so those are the big challenges for her, you know, going forward. And of course, playing those big players, those power players who who take away time and take the racket out of her hand. She's got to maybe working on shoring up her serve would be a good thing. And speaking of serve, Coco Goff made a little bit of a change to her toss. That's Brad Gilbert's influence, I'm pretty sure. Just a little a little thing that she said took two or three days to um, to to figure out and to get used to. And I wonder, Richard, if you've seen it all, do you think it's helping your serve wise? Uh, at all do you think it's a different serve in your opinion i didn't see a dramatic difference the first match i think she had one game where she double faulted twice but after that she settled right into a groove and when she had to serve big against alina swidalina was one of the sharper returners she did so uh yeah i mean i liked what i saw from the serve but i to me it didn't look that to me, the ego, the ego going to the you know the abbreviated motion is more of a is is more of a change. I felt more of a dramatic change. Yeah. Although ego yeah. handled it well, mm-hmm. obviously. She was the MVP of the United Cup, so yeah, she definitely handled it well. Switch gears a little bit again, Eric, and I'm going to ask you um, what's your what's the first rounder that you're most excited about? Uh, and. I'm actually going to switch back to the men and Go correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's going to be Tsitsipas Berrettini. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and I know a lot of people have picked Tsitsipas to be an early round exit. So, I mean, that to me is, I mean, we haven't really talked about Tsitsipas, which is interesting, but in some ways, I mean, Tsitsipas has had such an, had such an up and down year last year, and now he's going to be under the gun right at it so um it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Tsitsipas responds to Berrettini and uh just this this term in general because there's there's been a lot more question marks about Tsitsipas of late so no doubt about it and a little bit of a back issue that was flaring up but are still a problem for him at United Cup Richard um that's a, and by the way, Stefanos is four zero against Matteo, who hasn't played much of late. Um, so we'll have to see what kind of form the the hard hitting Italian can bring to the court. But yeah, that's that's the first rounder that everybody's dying to see. Richard, you have a first rounder you're excited about? I like that one. I would also say TFO uh, Bonacoric is the yeah. first first night, and uh, TFO. I mean, he's a guy that we've seen. He could go all the way. Deep into the semis, we saw Cork upset since the past few years back at the um, at the U.S. Open, and I'm also interested to see how TFO performs without Wayne Ferreira as a coach because I have a really a lot of respect for Wayne Ferreira. I think he really helped him a lot, and you know, I wish I, I, I I'm just interested to see how that transition goes. How he plays without Wayne there. I'm so scared about that. I, yeah. Wayne is such a solid coach. I mean, you know, I'm sure that it was the right decision for Francis, or he wouldn't have made it, but. 
you know, right. it, could, it could be a bit of a change to his to his upward thrust and momentum. Maybe not. It's it's going to be. I'm really intrigued to see what he can produce with Diego Moyano at the helm, um, and I'm hoping it's great. And I think it hopefully it'll start with a nice win over Borna George, like you said. I just want to throw in for me first rounder. It's totally a, like a down low under the radar weird pick, but I really want to see. Felix Oje Aliasim and Dominic Team first rounder, and here's why mm-hmm. I'm so I'm so excited about this because one of them will actually win. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I think both these guys would be headed for a first round loss had they not matched up against one another, and I think it could end up being a big win for whoever does win it. I, I, Felix didn't look so great at Auckland last week, I and mean, he didn't look bad, but he still looks like he's got a little trouble with the knee. And Team, of course, you know, well documented that he just hasn't been able to find his way back to top form. I would love to see both these guys play a great match. I would love to see the winner then take some momentum and you know make a little bit of a splash and possibly reach the third round to face Daniil Medvedev. It's wishful thinking, really. Um, and since we didn't talk about first-rounders on the women's side, well, we did, in a sense, we talked about Rybakina and um, and Karolina Pliskova. That one's good. I'm trying to scan the draw, and you guys can help me if you want to see if there's anything else that entices in the first round on the women's side. I think uh, Amanda Anisimova, I uh, haven't seen her in a long time. I'm glad she's back, and I'm and I'm excited to see her meet up with uh, Samsonova in the first round. That's kind of a big one that I'll keep my eyes on as well. And if you guys have any other ideas, feel free to, to hit me with them. No, those are good ones, and we touched on Naomi Garcia. Uh, Carolyn Garcia is a 16th seed, yep. and, uh, you know, they, they're a few years back, so that and they both can really hold serve, so that, that'll be a good one too. Yeah. Okay, I want, I want to finish with one kind of big picture question. It's sort of a theme we, we've carried with us for, you know, on all our podcasts, American men's tennis. It's something we talk about on and off you know, pretty much all the time. And I don't know, I feel like it's maybe in a little bit of a state of change this year where we've gotten the excitement of guys being in the top 10. We've seen the improvement of, of so many different players, Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz, Ben Shelton is on the scene, Chris Eubanks. Uh, Sebastian Corda, we're still waiting for his big breakthrough, but we've got so many talented American men, and the, the state of American men's tennis is in great shape. But I ask you, Eric, do you th- who do you think is going to be the American man that is actually going to win a Grand Slam, and when do you think said American man will do it, if at all? I think it's going to happen. When is a good question. <laughs> it is, right? Who who is I mean if we're talking about the current the current uh, uh, roster, I mean if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen at the U.S. Open for obvious reasons, um, and it's probably going to be someone that can hit really big. And I keep seeing Ben Shelton, and I know he still has a has a large long way to go, but I think in terms of just being able to out-hit somebody, I think that's what it's going to take. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but yeah. I think of all, the, he's got the most upside to do it. I'm not saying any of us can't do it, but I'm just saying that's who, that's the first name that jumps to my mm. head. You think there's a little window maybe in 2025 if Djokovic is taking a dip and then the other guys haven't really started to dominate in the way we some of us think we, they might, the, the Alcarazes and the Sinners? Oh, I, I agree, especially if Djokovic, again, again started this, the inevitable decline, then totally, yes, that does definitely opens the door wider. Yeah. Um, 
So, like I said, I don't see it happening this year, but maybe at a maybe at maybe at the twenty twenty five years. I like it. I like it. I'm kind of on the same page, Richard. What do you, What do you think? And this is, answer that one for me. Yeah, well, I, I would have to say Shelton because when you're a lefty and you can serve 148 miles an hour, and um, you know you you can play, and, and he's energized by the big crowds, as you saw in New York. Um, and he attacks. You know, he can put the pressure on you. And the last American man to win a you, um, Grand Slam was Roddick at the U.S. Open, and Roddick had the he had the silencing serve. I mean, he had the serve that could take the racket out of your hand. And if Shelton is on, he can do the same thing. So I would say him, although he's more to me his game right now as it stands today, he's more raw than a quarter. A quarter's more polished, but. Mm-hmm. Court has had injury issues, too. I mean, I like Court a lot. I think he's got a lot of ability. It's just he hasn't consistently been able to string together long stretches. But the amazing thing with Shelton is I would pick him, and if you – I mean, he took, he took a string of losses last year, and he didn't let it beat him down mentally, and then he comes back and, you know, sort of bookend the Grand Slams. He had the huge Australian Open, and he basically did next to nothing for a long time, and then he gets to the U.S. Open, has a huge U.S. Open. And also the whole thing with Novak hanging up on him, which I was all into that. The gesture, I think he handled that well. Like, yeah. he didn't let it – you know, he didn't let it get to his head. He did hey, that's part of the game, man. You're going to do it. People are going to do it back. That's fine. I felt his attitude was fine. Like, I have no problem with it. I, I think mm-hmm. it's great that he that he's demonstrative, that he's emotional, that he's passionate, and it turns the fans on. And he's just really exciting to watch. So, yeah, I, I would say I would say within I, three years. He can within do it. three years. He can do it if Djokovic is not around within three years, I think. 26? I would... I would also add about Sebastian Corda. Yeah. I think if Sebastian Corda were to win a slam, it would not be a U.S. Open. I think it would be like Roland Garros because he's more low-key. Yeah. And I think the U.S. Open isn't – not that I don't think he'd love to win the U.S. Open. It wouldn't be the U.S. Open. It would be like some, It would be like Roland Garros. Yeah. I think Clay would be like – place to do it. That's, That's just my deal. No, no, that makes sense. I, was I thinking, would say him, like, you could even see him winning Australia someday because he won there as a junior. He beat Medvedev. And I remember when he beat Medvedev last year, Medvedev gave him a huge compliment. He said it's almost like playing Djokovic, not that his game is the same as Djokovic, but his ability to take the ball early and really hit the ball big while taking it early. I thought that was a cool comment from Medvedev. Yeah. No, Se- Se- Sebi's such a good, talented player, and like you, you said it well, Richard, yeah. he just needs to get his body and get get some momentum and keep some momentum. And I think Eric, you're right; it's probably not going to be the U.S. Open. I like the U.S. I like Roland Garros. That was that's kind of a low key, cool call right there. Maybe 2026 or something. But but also, yeah, Australia makes sense with his dad doing it there, with him winning the juniors, with him already making a splash down there last year, having the match point against Djokovic in the Adelaide final. And uh, or was was it a semi? It was a semi. Or no, it was a final. And then um, also with the win over Medvedev, it's proven that he can play well there, though, although he was so flat last night in losing to Lehechka in Adelaide. I don't know if you guys saw that match, so still got a little bit of work to do this season. But I like those calls. I'd say, you know, Shelton... It's weird. You have to kind of, you have to kind of speculate a little bit about his development. That he's going to smooth out some of the elements of his game and have a little more shot tolerance. But yeah, he's the big match player. And I'd also say Francis has the, what it takes. I think in his head and to to do something like that at the U.S. Open. I mean, that's what he proved to us by reaching that semifinal in twenty twenty two, right? I think that Francis is a guy still twenty five years of age, still working so hard to improve his game in every way. I think that. 
he's got that big big match kind of uh, mojo that could get us, get him over the hump. So if I ranked him, I would say maybe Shelton number one pick, maybe Sebi and Francis tied for number two. Those would be my three guys that I think can do it. And I think twenty twenty five or twenty six, I I don't know. It's gonna be maybe twenty twenty five or let's say twenty twenty six. I can't decide. Forget it. Let's just wrap it up, guys. Because. I don't know, but it's exciting. It's exciting to think about the Americans and what they're doing, and I hope that they can follow through a little bit on some of the success this year. As we see right now, we don't have a guy in the top 10 once again with Fritz dropping a couple points. Um, so we'd like to get some, some, more, uh, some more of those stars and stripes in the top 10 and move forward from that. But anything to add on, uh, on a wonderful conversation as we head into what? how many hours till first ball? About... Geez, the Australian Open starts in about 27 hours. Eric, any final thoughts? Um, just final thoughts. I'm just going to share my picks who I think is going to win. Ah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, for the women, I'm going to go with Coco. Um, I think she's going to ride that wave of momentum from uh, last year. And for the men, I'm going to go with Djokovic because it's his house. It's his house. Richard, you want to take a stab? No, <laughs> I gotta see. I gotta see them in that in the uh, in the arena. I gotta see a couple matches first. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, if you put a gun in my head, I would say Coco or Elena Rybakina uh, would be my would be my winner's choice. And you gotta go with Novak unless um, you know unless he gets not. I mean, you gotta go with him just because he's been dominant there. But it wouldn't shock me to see an Alcaraz or or Sinner get through. The other thing I just want to say quickly, just to pick up on your point about Big Foe, wouldn't it be great at the Olympics to see Shelton and Big Foe together, or Shelton and Corder, you know, as doubles, you know, going for the gold there. And the other just quick thing I want to add is last year Mackenzie McDonald beat Rafa, albeit an injured Rafa, and if they, he's actually play Carlos if they both, uh, you know, win the early round, wouldn't that be something to see Mackenzie have a shot at another Spanish Grand Slam champion? Good stuff. I mean, I'll I'll take a stab at. I always go with Novak until he proves me wrong, and uh, you know, so that's it. I'm always going to pick him at the Australian Open. It just makes sense. And on the women's side, I find it very difficult. I like the Coco pick, I do, but I'm going to just say Iga because she's so determined. You can always count on her to give her put her best foot forward. I think it's far from being a lock. I think any of those big. I think it's going to be a big four. It's a top top four ranked player that wins this title, and I'll just kind of like throw the coin and say Iga, but. Um, can't wait to see it uh, start and let's get together maybe during the tournament definitely after and chat about what we've seen in Australia you guys and we'll we'll, uh, we'll see you all in the slack and look forward to uh, contributing to tennisnow.com thank you Eric and Richard for joining you guys have a great weekend thank you both appreciate talking to you guys thanks very much thank you this edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap special thanks to Richard Pagliaro Eric Goodris for joining for that great discussion. There's so much to look forward to over the next 15 days. The Happy Slam is going to kick off. It's fast and furious. It's in um, a couple weeks' time, we'll be talking about the first Grand Slam champions of 2024. It's crazy. You go from New Year's to start of the tennis season to that in such a blink of an eye. Um, you guys can follow us on social media, facebook.com slash tennis now. Also on Twitter. We're still calling it Twitter. I don't know about this X stuff. I don't really care. We're at uh, tennis underscore now, at tennis underscore now. And of course, you can follow us on the web at www.tennisnow.com. We'll be pumping out the content there. And of course, we love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. You can go into your uh, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, Google Lucky Lead Court Podcast. Voila. We appreciate your input. We thank you for listening. It means a lot. We hope you enjoy the heck out of the 2024 Australian Open. And we'll talk to you guys soon with some of the, the news and key storylines from that event. Enjoy the tennis. Enjoy the new year. We'll talk to you guys very soon.